Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Cuddles, and I want to thank everyone in the audience today for taking time to be with us. Our mission, as always, is to provide information to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get better, uh, <laughs> that's a great start, get faster, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in America. Now, uh, those who've listened to the show uh, all these months here realize that uh, economic development is a frequent theme uh, here on, on the show. And uh, not too long ago, I came across uh, this report called, uh, what do we got here? TechNet 2012 State Broadband Index, where states rank as they look to high-speed connectivity to grow strong economic economies and communities. And uh, one thing that jumped out at me, you know, one of the findings is that states uh, actively investing in and utilizing broadband networks are seeing uh, stronger economic uh, growth, uh, better connected communities, and an enhanced quality of life, which is pretty much the gospel I've been preaching, but it's nice to find uh, research uh, information and folks doing research who are validating this uh, this position that a lot of us who are broadband advocates have taken. And uh, so today, uh, the primary author of that report, Don Horgan, is our guest today on Gigabit Nation. And John, I want to welcome you to the show. It's a pleasure to be with you all. Nice to be here, Craig. Yes, so um, let's jump right in here. Uh, first off, I'd like to get an idea of you know, what is TechNet. I know... Your president, uh, Ray Ramsey, came over from, uh, was it um, One Community? Uh, One Economy. Mm-hmm. One Economy, One Economy. And, uh, but I don't know much else about it. So what, what, what do you guys, well, when you were there, what, 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 what's, uh, what's the focus of the organization? Sure. Um, you know, right now I'm technically a senior fellow at TechNet, and for a couple of years I was the, the vice president for research at TechNet, and currently since September of 2012, I'm now the vice president and director of the Media and Technology Institute at the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies. But to your question about TechNet, um, it is a trade association that has engagement of technology company CEOs. So it's a network of CEOs from a lot of familiar companies to your listeners, Cisco, Google, Microsoft, Intel, um, those kinds of companies, and a lot of smaller uh, startup companies as well, which seeks to be the voice of the innovation economy. So um, TechNet tries to raise issues to uh, members of Congress, to the executive branch that um, can help further innovation and economic development, serving as basically a conduit from what Silicon Valley is doing to what policymakers in, in D.C. ought to know about what it takes to grow a tech economy. And I say Silicon Valley almost in a um, grandiloquent way in, in because TechNet is not just about Silicon Valley. It has chapters in Massachusetts, Texas, um, Washington State, and, and um, a presence in Florida and New York State as well. So that's what mm-hmm. TechNet is, is, is all about. Okay. 
So then this report, what was the um, what was the primary goal behind this, and, and have you been doing these indices every year or is it the first year? For TechNet, um, the motivation for doing the report was to try to understand where states are with respect to broadband by bringing together a number of different elements in the broadband ecosystem into a single number to characterize where a state is. And the reason for doing that is to try to help states understand where they rank and then in the report as we did uh, try to make some, some suggestions as to what states can do to improve to improve their broadband climate. Uh, TechNet first did uh, uh, an index ranking states in 2003 which was as we can all imagine a very very different time in the world of broadband. In 2003 15% mm-hmm. of Americans had broadband at home, and today it's up to 68%. Um, So the world has changed a great deal. TechNet did the index at two different times in order to understand what's going on in those two different times. Mm -hmm. So what, um, well, so how now, how, how can I describe this? How vast was the, the research effort? I mean, were there, like, dozens and dozens of people working gathering data or were you basically reaching out and, and having the states themselves uh generate and, and return data? Um we did re secondary research on data um from not provided by the states um and okay. Um we basically used data available to the public with some efforts to uh, get data from some private sector sources to understand what's going on in the states with respect to you know broadband adoption, network quality, and economic factors. So we didn't really pull states; we rather pulled data together. Mm-hmm. So let's give us a bit of an overview. Uh, what are the five uh, top, you know, the top five states, the last five states, just to get an idea of who's where in the in the rankings. Sure. The um, I'll go through the top ten states just for fun. Uh, number one is Washington State. Number two, Massachusetts. Delaware is number three. Maryland number four. California number five. Then we finish off the top ten with New Jersey, Vermont, Virginia, Utah, and New York State. And the bottom five, as I scroll to another part in my report, are. Uh, Kentucky, New Mexico, Louisiana, Hawaii, Alaska, and Arkansas. So that's sort Arkansas of the is oh. yeah. Arkansas is number number fifty. Huh. That's uh, that that's interesting. Um, you know what's interesting about the uh, where Arkansas rises is that about a year or two ago, uh, I worked with a company that. Uh, that does um, uh, mapping. They, they collect basically a whole lot of data about Internet use, mm-hmm. which then turn into maps that show, like, market share and that kind of thing. Um, ID Insight is, is the company. And uh, so we looked at the states to try to figure out which ones were the most competitive. And it was sort of a, a somewhat random process. But we basically said, you know, looking at um, 
you know, perfect competition as, you know, your top ten uh, providers will own almost equal share of the market. Uh, and then, you know, it's sort of the high end of, of competition to where you go to where there's only like one or two uh, players that have 90 or 95 percent of the market. And Arkansas was actually, they had like the statewide, it seemed, the, I don't know, the most even breakout of providers. Like there were basically five or six in every, you know, major either county or whatever across the state. Now, granted, it wasn't perfect, and by some people's definition of what's competition, you know, it wasn't a, you know, policy wonk's dream uh, in terms of the approach, but it gave an interesting picture of, you know, the competitive landscape based on, on market share. And so to find out that Arkansas is kind of at the bottom of this is, uh, you know, it's it well, a little bit interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. so that was, that was for providing home broadband service to, cust- to consumers. Is that right? Mm-hmm. The, yeah. Um, just right. looking at the data in, in a little more detail, if that kind of competition is going to improve the home broadband adoption rate, that would show up in the adoption end of the um, – I mentioned briefly that the index is built basically on three pillars – how states are doing with adoption, how states are doing with network deployment, and how their economic structure influences broadband investment. So from what you're talking about, Arkansas, if competition does help encourage home broadband adoption, would do reasonably well in adoption of of broadband at home. And just as I dig into the numbers, um, you know, at number 50, Arkansas is going to be below average on pretty much everything, but Across those three dimensions I described, Arkansas does relatively well um, in broadband adoption um, as opposed to network quality and economic structure. So uh, there's the hint there that what you found in terms of Arkansas having a fairly competitive market for broadband provision at home does feed into the index results in in a sensible way. Mm-hmm. The um, now, what's the, the the practical impact of that ranking? I mean, I, you know, I look up there and I see the case of California, huge state. It has Silicon Valley, and and so it's kind of there's always viewed as the center of technology. And you've also got Massachusetts and Delaware is a small state. What can one gather from how these states uh, um, fare here? Um, you know, excellent question. One thing we tried to do in the report is not only rank states, but do some additional analysis on what states kind of overachieved expectations, exceeded expectations, and ones that didn't. We also did case studies that looked at um, how uh, specific states undertook initiatives. (coughs) Excuse me. And... um, Mm -hmm. When you look at California, for instance, um, yes, it ranks high, as you would expect, but it's also taking steps to reinforce a lot of the historical advantages that California has. So California was clearly an overachiever in the the rankings, and among the reasons for overachieving is, you know, California has, um, I think, you know, two important 
ingredients that um, have fed in the past 10 or so years into California doing well in the rankings. One is it does have executive and legislative leadership that understands that broadband is important and tries to um, uh, do things to cultivate the broadband environment. So as you probably know, California was among the first states to have um, a broadband planning task force uh, several years back. That has helped the climate for broadband there. The California Emerging Technologies Fund has provided impetus to improving broadband adoption. So not only do you have the element of leadership at the state level, you have a fairly cooperative environment among stakeholders trying to improve the broadband climate. Um, And so um, for that reason, California does well. We highlight a couple other states that have... um, some interesting initiative as, initiatives as, as well. So the mm-hmm. report itself does lay out the rankings, but we do go into case studies that help provide a flavor of, you know, the special sauce that might help states do better if they want to improve their broadband climate. Mm-hmm. Now, if, a, if, if someone looks at this and says, oh, man, my state's, you know, somewhere stuck in the middle or, you know, we're near the lower end of the, the spectrum here. Is there, um, I don't know, is, are there easy ways to move this, uh, to move the needle, move that position, or is moving the position, I mean, all the factors that you looked at so intense that, you know, you'd be talking about a multi-year effort if you say wanted to move from uh, 30th up to 10th on this list? Um, it's an excellent question, and as you know, Craig, a few years back, I spent a year working at the FCC on the National Broadband Plan, and mm-hmm. one thing we said in developing the broadband plan that comes to mind with your question and is is reinforced by some of the findings in the report we're talking about is that these are long-term efforts to try to improve um, one's position in broadband. You know, Improving the climate for broadband adoption is a multi-year undertaking. <clears throat> Improving net- network quality, whether that means freeing up spectrum or um, developing ways to build out infrastructure, wireline infrastructure, takes um, time, money, and effort. So it's it's definitely a multi-year project. But um, we do highlight in several of the case studies in the report that there are states who, you know, despite the very difficult budget climate that nearly all states face, are trying to use some public funds to help incentivize um, build-out of uh, networks or, as in the case of Illinois, there's something called the Broadband Innovation Fund, which seeds broadband adoption programs across the state with small grants with the hope that the, that will prove to be leveraged to get other kinds of um, private sector resources involved in improving broadband adoption. Um, so there is a roadmap in the report um, highlighted by some of the case studies that we have, but it is, um, I think it's important to underscore, going to be kind of a long-term process for, for state policymakers and the various stakeholders that are interested
So is um, how big of a driver is the uh, is having the political apparatus behind this this idea? Like, for example, I know in Illinois they seem to have a fairly aggressive um, stance, uh, you know, as a as a political you know bodies are, are involved. Um, in what Minnesota, they have this, this task force that's been driven by the governor that uh you know is 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 really focused on moving their their ranking uh you know in broadband speeds and so forth up several notches um is that the key to, you know is that you get your politicians engaged or is it some other element that has to kind of come online first before uh you can really start to see some traction here i think it's important to have politicians engaged one way to do that is to, for the private sector to help educate politicians who may not otherwise understand the role of broadband and economic and community development. Um, but Illinois is a good example. Um, I know that Governor Quinn w- was interested in broadband dating to the time when he was lieutenant governor. Um, I understand that in in Kansas, Governor Brownback is interested in broadband, just to take a couple of examples. And I I think what's happening is, particularly in the tough economic climate that we're in, the light is going on in the minds of of policymakers that they need to do something to spur economic growth. They know that broadband is, is part of the equation, and they start to see it as uh, something that's uh, fairly nonpartisan. It tends not to, uh, with some exceptions, but it tends not to be too much of a partisan ex- uh, kind of topic area. And they see that they see, they see broadband as something constructive that they can do to um, try to improve their state's economic fortunes in the future. Um, so yeah, political leadership is, is key for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, what what kinds of things? I, mean, I may be pushing the envelope here, but like, what types of things can unite the the, the political realm? I, I know that at the local level, the city or town, and at the county level, uh, often broadband initiatives are bipartisan. I mean, you don't find people unless you actually have the city directly building the network, you often don't get a lot of, um, you know, sort of flashpoint partisan, issue, you know, partisanism kind of getting in there. And even when some municipalities are running the networks, you still seem to have a, uh, a trend of bipartisanship. At the state level, um, I, I think this is probably harder to achieve, but from your perspective or your observations, are there ways to kind of break down the barriers so it doesn't look like, you know, so so the state broadband discussion doesn't look like a, you know, a Washington Congress versus, you know, White House kind of uh, drama? Yeah, excellent question, and, and you're right. Um, when you get into the topic of cities or municipalities building networks, um, things can get partisan, but beyond that, um, it is often a much more bipartisan kind of issue. 
And I think what works well as a mechanism is to uh, put together task forces to try to understand what are the uh, things that st- a diverse set of stakeholders can come to agreement on that will help improve the climate for broadband adoption and deployment. Um, so, for instance, we we know that in uh, we know that a significant part of the cost of deploying and building out new networks is the cost of accessing rights of ways and the process of, of going through municipalities to get access to rights of ways. <clears throat> well, if stakeholders can come together and figure out ways to lessen that friction and lower those costs, they can come to an agreement on how to solve a problem that's right in front of them, reducing the cost of build-out, or a, a problem that they identify in front of them as this community needs resources at a particular community center to provide um, online access and training. And if you get stakeholders together to identify problems, break problems down, and figure out what the steps are to you know, solve those problems, um, you know, then you're about solving problems and not about you know, f- uh, political finger pointing. So we find in the report, and I find just in my own experience, that um, states that do set up planning mechanisms or task forces to address these issues can really make some progress. Mm-hmm. So, um, are there are there signs of uh, some of these states? You know, we talked about Illinois, obviously, but are there other states um, that you see like a certain energy? Uh, you know, sort of a realization that we're not where we need to be. We need to be somewhere else. But we're, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna move this thing forward. We're gonna actually get people engaged and and do something. Yeah, I mean, we definitely see um, a good bit of that. And, you know, one accelerant to that has been the um, VTOP investments under the stimulus program of four years ago that set up state broadband initiatives to help manage not just the broadband, the data and mapping for the national broadband map, but it set up the state broadband initiatives to matter, to um, manage other kinds of broadband initiatives. And so that has been a useful catalyst to helping states move the ball forward. So, for instance, um, beyond Illinois being a good example of an engaged state, um, Massachusetts has been engaged in trying to um, – build broadband infrastructure specifically to the western part of the state. And Mm -hmm. the Massachusetts Broadband Institute was um, set up prior to the stimulus um, program but was given additional life from the ARA investments. So Massachusetts stands as a really good example of a state that, you know, decided to make it a priority and set up a planning apparatus to, to really back it up. Um, Ohio, with its one community initiative, has um, certainly been a leader in trying to improve uh, broadband adoption in the state and, and network deployment there. And, you know, Ohio is a state that ranks kind of firmly in the middle or to the lower part of the rankings. 
so it is taking um, steps to um, close the gap. One community is something that's been around for a number of years, but in Ohio, Governor Kasich has um, worked with the legislature to put together some investments um, for, for statewide uh, networks for um, community and anchor institutions. So those are just a couple of examples where states have um, really stayed engaged or gotten newly engaged with broadband. One, um, as I think about this further, one example we highlight in the report is Missouri, which has uh, what they call the, the Mo Broadband Now um, initiative mm -hmm, to improve mm -hmm. broadband there. So again, another effort to do the planning, do the homework to bring the different uh, stakeholders together. Um, so that's um, a quick rundown of some states that are clearly doing interesting things. Mm -hmm. So um, let's shift gears a little bit and let's talk about the impact on economic development. Obviously, this is the thing that, that caught my eye. Uh -huh. What um, I'm always not sure how to phrase the question, but how are people um, either uh, qualifying or validating that broadband is having an, an impact on economic development? Because this, for a lot of people, seems to be the the holy grail or the elusive goal or the you know the hunt for the unicorn because yeah, people are yeah. saying you know we 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 hear about we hear about this thing called you know broadband and impacting economic development but you know what is that really you know how do you measure that it can't be measured I mean it depends on who you're talking to in your case we've done this report how were people drawing the line between broadband and economic development results yeah yeah I mean you're 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 shifting to a question that um, I hope very smart PhD students somewhere are working on as as we speak because, um, and, and I know Craig, you've been to some of those sessions where you get um, people with not only a lot of experience in the broadband field but also very skilled social scientists trying to address that question. And as you know, it is really, really hard. It's hard for a number of reasons. One. Um, in the way that economists try to understand the impacts of specific kinds of investments, broadband hasn't been around very long. It's been around mm -hmm. for, you know, 10 or 12 years. So it's hard even in that time horizon to try to tease out what an investment in broadband at time one might have um, had an effect on uh, economic growth in time two given all the other factors that could be involved with changes in economic activity in those um, two points in time. Um, so what we have is this presumption that broadband is a, a very useful infrastructure for economic growth. The clear knowledge based on a lot of anecdotes that broadband can be very helpful in in stimulating business growth. But uh, to your question, do we have that number, that investment of $100 million in broadband leads to, you know, one and a half times the return in economic growth? We simply don't have that number. Um, what we do know is 
that it's clearly an infrastructure that is important to all kinds of economic activity. It whets the juices of innovators and entrepreneurs at the same time that it helps established businesses carry out um, what they do in, in a more efficient manner. But it's the, it, it, you're right, it's the uh, one of the holy grail questions in, in the, the field of research that I'm involved in, and there, there's no crisp answer at this point. Mm-hmm. So is it, is it fair to say at this point that uh, in some respects the impact of broadband on economic development is in the eye of the beholder? I mean, uh, community A may say our you know, broadband has been great for our economy, and here's why. And Community B may say the same thing. Broadband has been valuable, and, and here's the reason why. But those two reasons could be very different, or the, the outcomes produced that they're using to claim success may be very different. Yeah, I mean, I think that's um, a fair statement that it is in the eye of the beholder. Um, we're mostly the states where we have anecdotes of how broadband can affect e- economic growth. Um, you know, at the same time, broadband is, um, you know, an enormous driver to, uh, or can be an enormous driver to uh, social uses. So it might make um, government operate a little more efficiently and therefore the city budget can be a little bit lower. Um, same thing in the healthcare arena. There's there might be benefits to electronic interchange of records among different parts of the healthcare provision food chain that makes healthcare services deliverable at a lower rate um, than otherwise would be the case. Uh, you know, does that translate into economic growth? Really hard to say. Mm-hmm. Do we think that those kinds of cost savings are probably good things overall for our society? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things, um, if, if I were to sort of define, put my consult, consulting cap on and define a process for measuring success, and you can tell me whether this is valid or not, um, you know, I start with, well, what are the primary economic outcomes that, you know, you as a community want to have? And they may say, we need to increase jobs or we have local businesses and they could be more effective or they could grow more if they had better communication infrastructure. Um, you know, they may point to the hospital, they may point to the education area, but they'll usually point to something that they they want to have um, achieved. And, uh, and so then my next question is, well, what would constitute success? So in other words, have them define you know, what success in their eyes would be. And then if there's any way at all, then quantify that. You know, if you were to indeed, like I, I sat around a workshop and they said, you know, if we had 20 new companies and they brought uh, 10 jobs each, this would be a big plus for our community. Okay, well, then I guess the most logical question then is, you know, what does that mean in, in dollars and cents? And then is that benefit worth, you know, X expense to build out uh, a broadband network? Now, is that does that seem rational, practical? You know, is there economic value into you know thinking through a process that Because it's clearly not what I would call the the academic uh, economic development person's approach to this stuff. You know, because I want to look at studies and metrics, matrices, and all that. 
Mm-hmm. And this this really doesn't offer any of those for the most part. But is it a is it at least a you know a practical way to approach this, given the lack of those you know sort of empirical uh, matrices or whatever? Yeah, I mean, I agree that it's a, a practical way to go about things, and you know, maybe this is a piece of research that isn't uh, rigorous, peer-reviewed economics journal kind of stuff, but if it hasn't been done, it would be useful to just have a, a moderated discussion, a Delphi group, a, a, a um, small survey of economic development officials who are the people listening to this kind of dialogue day-to-day. They're trying mm-hmm. to recruit companies. They're trying to figure out what improves the business climate for existing companies. Um, you know, the scenario you, you laid out sort of begs for the question, well, if we want to get, you know, 10 more companies with 25 jobs apiece, what do we need to do to um, provide the climate for that? It'd be great to have a sort of focus group among economic development officials to have them think out loud about, well, what are the different ingredients? Broadband's clearly going to have... um, and uh, a say in uh, broadband won't have a say. Broadband's going to come into play in the constellation of ingredients that are important. Um, other things will as well: reliable electric system, good roads, good schools, and that sort of thing. But it'd be nice to get a sense of where broadband ranks um, as economic development officials who are, you know, on the ground day to day see things, and then you can at least from there start to build out you know, uh, an informal model that helps you understand, well, you know, broadband's important in this part of the state where we have these kinds of businesses that are reliant on a good, reliable um, high-speed infrastructure. Um, We know we have a pretty good school system in that part of the state as it is. Let's put our money on broadband in this instance. So you could start that process via the kind of scenario um, I just laid out. Mm-hmm. Now, in your uh, you know gathering of, of information, do you see or do you, yeah do you see states using a correlation between broadband's impact on the medical community or medical services delivery as being part of the economic development equation? Um, I think that. It's certainly seen as part of the economic development equation in, in some places. I, I think that's clearly the, the case in areas and cities like Cleveland and Baltimore come to mind where you have a sizable cluster of hospitals and universities and medical research facilities. Um, I think that clearly comes into play in that instance. So broadband is a driver to... Um, an economic cluster that's important to the region. You know, in other instances, it's going to be more about efficiency with respect to um, an existing industry just to serve the population at large. But, you know, there's obviously a lot of money flowing into our healthcare system today at the same time that there's a lot of interest in trying to um, reduce and contain costs in that sector. So um, clearly healthcare and 
uh, broadband is going to be, be spoken in the same sentence quite often. <laughs> That'll be interesting. I mean, that was really the part of, or the thrust of the um, uh, the, the session here in uh, in Oakland on Monday, where the the uh, FCC chairman Janikowski was here and talking about the FCC's new uh, healthcare um, connect fund, and and you know looking at how much uh, value comes economically and in, in all different ways. Of, of having an improved healthcare delivery, where before you know you have poor service or you have uh, you know a long way to travel to get to a, a medical professional and so forth, and then if you can alleviate all of that, which is what the, the, the Healthcare Connect Fund is all about, then you 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 have indirectly or you know maybe for some directly an impact on economic development. People stay healthier. People work more days. People want to stay in the area. Businesses want to stay in the area because they know their employees will be well taken care of in terms of health care and medical services. So, you know, so I think the FCC is acknowledging by virtue of putting money aside that, um, you know, the, the, the question of health care is, uh, is indeed a big one. Yeah, I mean, that. that... As um, you may recall from the National Broadband Plan, there was the, the several chapters on the um, national purposes, which is to say how broadband is used in specific areas like healthcare, like um, education, like delivery of government services. <clears throat> and healthcare was um, very prominently featured there, um, both in terms of uh, efficiencies within the healthcare system, but then also improvements to the quality of lives, so that people are going to be uh, just more more productive members of society and communities, um, better places to start businesses. Mm-hmm. Interesting indeed. Um, let's uh, shift once again. Uh, let's look at um, the Joint Center because uh, mm-hmm. there are probably a lot of people. Who aren't familiar? I know some of uh, some of the listeners may remember. Uh, I had Joe Miller, who, who's from the Joint Center, on on the show. I don't know, eight, seven, eight months ago. Um, what what does the Joint Center do, and what are you doing in your role with the, the Joint Center, and what kinds of interesting research are you guys pursuing at the moment? Sure, the the Joint Center for Political and Economic Studies is a think tank that has been around for about 45 years, and it has as its focus undertaking research that is relevant to um, people of color and disadvantaged Americans. Within the Joint Center, um, one of the Joint Center's several research institutes is the Media and Technology Institute, and I'm the director of that institute. We call mm-hmm. it MTI. Um, <clears throat> Joe Miller, who's been on the show, is the deputy director of MTI. And our focus is how information technology, broadband, wireless, um, um, impacts communities of color. Um, we'll also look at broader tech policy issues and how they may impact communities of color and, and less advantaged Americans. And, of course, media policy such as um, rules over ownership of media properties that the FCC thinks about every couple of years. So that's our focus at MTI. Um, I'm fairly new to MTI. I've uh, started there 
at uh, the end of last August. And we're trying to build research around how African-Americans, Hispanics, and other communities of color um, are impacted by um, information technology. Um, and it builds, in my view, on some of the work that we undertook in the National Broadband Plan, which worried a great deal about the adoption of information technologies among all Americans. Um, presently, about two-thirds of Americans have broadband at home. For African Americans and Hispanics, that number is lower. About 50% mm -hmm. of African Americans have a broadband subscription plan at home, um, and about 46% of Hispanics have broadband at home. So those lower numbers are something we look at at the Joint Center and try to understand the consequences of them. At the same time, African Americans and Hispanics are more likely to have smartphones than uh, the average American. And we also try to understand how that fits into how information technology impacts um, people's lives. So those are some of the things we're uh, concerned about and, and working on at, at the Joint Center. Mm -hmm. And um, and and for those folks who aren't familiar with uh, with with research firms uh, to a large extent, in general terms, how do you do what you do? How do you come up with these reports, and, like Nielsen surveys, or is there some other approach that uh, a typical think tank does to gather its knowledge? Yeah, I mean, there's a real range of approaches taken by think tanks. Um, one thing that I've done a good bit in my career and that I'll continue to do with the Joint Center um, is to conduct surveys of individuals to ask them a series of questions about not just what kind of uh, information technology they may have, but how they think it impacts how they carry out different functions in their lives, whether that's um, seeking out healthcare information, whether that is um, engaging with entertainment or the news media um, and those sorts of things. So that's typically done through telephone surveys, um, random digit dial telephone surveys from which you get um, a representative sample of, of Americans. And then you can start to slice and dice the data to understand how responses to the questions you've asked varies across different demographic groups. So that's the approach that has been central to a lot of the work I've done. You can do other kinds of qualitative research whereby you go out and interview people in order to get more of the stories behind um, the kinds of questions you're interested in as opposed to just yes, no, agree, and disagree. So that's the, mm -hmm. that's the in broad strokes, the uh, under the, the approach we under undertake. Mm -hmm. So, in um, realizing that you're you know you're relatively new uh, at at the Joint Center, uh, what are some interesting economic trends in in communities of color that you are noticing as it relates to to broadband and or the use of broadband? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> we we do have this. Um, and I alluded to it earlier, this um, really striking pattern in the adoption of 
smartphones for um, African Americans and lower income communities as opposed to broadband. Um, so, for instance, in 1998, your, your typical kind of cutting edge um, internet user at home was, you know, basically a white guy in his 30s um, who had a dial-up connection, and uh, the fact that um, white Americans were, were the early adopters of dial-up internet and then broadband internet kind of helped shape the environment for innovation in that space. And today, when you look at smartphones, the handy iPhone or Android device that about half of all Americans now do have in their pockets, um, the fact is the early adopters or cutting-edge users of those technologies are people of color, either um, African Americans or Hispanics. Um, so a, a interesting research question that we plan to pursue at the Joint Center is, well, what does those differences in access means among African Americans mean for overall engagement with the Internet? So, for instance, is having a wireline broadband uh, subscription at home really kind of the anchor for how people engage with the Internet? Or is that less relevant than it used to be? Does a smartphone, if that's the only access point you have to get online, is that as good in, in terms of how engaged you are with Internet content? Is that as good um, as having a broadband connection? So that's um, some of the kinds of work that we're interested in. In the context that for um, African Americans, African Americans in particular, unemplo the unemployment rate is substantially higher than it is for white Americans. So we mm -hmm. want to understand how these information technology tools may impact how uh, job search is going for um, African Americans, and that's actually a major um, research undertaking that we plan to take uh, that we plan to do in 2013 for the Joint Center. So you mm -hmm. have. Um, this high rate of smartphone adoption among communities of color at the same time that the unemployment rate uh, for communities of color is much higher than for um, the average American. And we want to understand how and whether there's a way in which information technology might be a pathway toward a brighter economic uh, prospects for African Americans. Mm -hmm. So let me ask this, or actually put put a, a particular finding I uh, developed from this last survey, this last national survey of economic development uh, professionals that I did. So one of the questions I've asked for the last two years is, um, uh, I, I give them several possibilities uh, of how broadband can improve the individual's economic development, their ability to make money. Right, and so um, those options include uh, searching for a job, uh, professional development, uh, improving or advancing their education, uh, transitioning to a new job set. And so a lot of people will talk about, you know, the, the, the band being valuable for job searching. However, um, only 5% of folks last year and only 10% of respondents this year 
said that looking for a job was the primary value of um, to the individual. They said, you know, of greater value is their ability to use the Internet to improve their uh, job skills and professional skills, uh, to use the network to uh, start a new business, to use the network to, um, uh, what was another one, um, well, uh, you know, learn a, in essence, a new career, you know, particularly if you're in an area where, you know, the light manufacturing has gone away or something of that nature, and you are now forced to either find a new skill set or, or, or just not go anywhere. And so, number one, what, what's your thoughts on that? And I have sort of a theory of why get that, why get those kinds of results to this particular question. That, that's interesting. My take is the low number for job search is because, in that case, broadband can only get you so far. You can look real hard for a job, but if there's not job out, if there's not a job out there, you're not going to have a successful experience. Whereas for the other things you mentioned, acquiring skills, starting a job, uh, rather starting a business uh, online, is something that the the individual himself can control. Um, even if you can't find a job, you can take steps using a broadband connection at home to either get training for another career in a maybe in an area where you don't live now or to figure out how to make some money with a business idea you have. So I think the dichotomy has to do with um you know the individuals wherewithal to uh, take control of the situation. You can take control of um whether you're learning something new to help your job prospects, uh, you can only take so much control over the overall job market if, if there's just a dearth of jobs in your in your community. Does that square at all with where you have your theory? Well, yes, and that um, if you look at the, you know, if you look at impact, you know, if, we're, if, what we're, if really what we're discussing is how can broadband help someone have the greatest economic impact on their personal life, mm-hmm. then trying to find a job, doing a job search is less important than developing greater skills because where the rubber meets the road, meaning when you actually engage with the company, if you have mediocre skill sets, the fact that you have found the job faster, you know, more effectively and all of that, is not is less relevant than the fact that you're not prepared for that job. So we need to actually get you prepared for these jobs that are out there that are now you know that only can find these jobs on the internet. We gotta get people prepared for those jobs before um, they can really take advantage of uh, I don't know that that ability to find a job. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't want to discount the value of finding you know, doing a job search online. Especially when the only, you know, for some organizations, that's the only way they list their jobs. But I think that it is a, um, it sets up a, a, uh, an erroneous expectation if people think that well, if I just give you know this low-income community access to the internet so they can do job searches, well, number one, why don't I just they would just go to the library for you know is, is often the first reaction. Mm-hmm. But then another thing is, well, if I've done that, if I've given them that access, then I've done everything I need to do and have a nice day. Yeah, and I think that's that's problematic. Yeah, I mean, I think we're 
saying the same thing in different words. Yours may be a mm-hmm. little clearer than mine, but um, yeah, it, it's about not so much finding a job, but having the wherewithal to to do a job and grow in a job. Right now, it, now if you take that position, then then a couple things I think comes to mind. One of which is um, is the smartphone then. Uh, doing that individual as great a service as people, you know, if you look at some of the news reports and the headlines, seem to indicate. Because if I'm trying to develop my, increase my job skills, my verbal skills, I need to take, you know, specialized training or, you know, access, you know, Khan Academy and all that, you know, that, that handheld device is going to have some limitations, I would think. Yeah, I mean, the smartphone does not serve as a substitute for a wireline um, experience on a larger screen. Um, The small screen is small. Um, It typically comes with a data cap, and it's going to be less useful for truly engaging with online resources than if you have a wireline uh, experience. I mean, I've done research that I presented last year at the Telecommunications Policy Research Conference that goes into that and and comes to those conclusions. Uh, you know, 83% of people who have a smartphone also have a broadband subscription at home. So for the most part, the smartphone is a supplement to people's online access means. It's not a substitute for other means like um, a broadband subscription. So they go together. Uh, for the most part, for most people. And mm-hmm. when you probe into people's attitudes about the conveniences and productivity benefits to the Internet, um, when you do some of the statistical analysis to figure out what's mattering most to positive attitudes about the Internet's personal productivity potential, it's having the wireless along with the home broadband connection that really turns the light bulb on in people's minds to say, yeah, this stuff, meaning the Internet and online content, can really make a difference in how I conduct my day-to-day affairs. So um, the smartphone is absolutely a wonderful device among the reasons and perhaps among the most important reasons it's a wonderful device is that it really accelerates people's engagement with online resources and content, but in conjunction with that um, broadband plan that opens the door even wider. Mm -hmm. That's, um, yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. But it does bring up one question, and we've got about five minutes left. Mm -hmm. Um, But it brings up this question of expectations. You know, one of my, one of the reasons why I do this survey of economic development professionals year after year, is because I find that the expectations that get put out there in the media, you know, if you have broadband, these wonderful things will happen, often are at odds with the realities within the communities, either communities in general or, you know, if you look at rural specifically or if you look at urban specifically or, or you know, African American specifically, is that um, we get a disconnect between expectation and what's the real value. Do you get a sense of that? Um, to some extent, yes. Um, certainly, um, one of the things that I encounter that is interesting is 
as you're, I think, suggesting, often the expectations that broadband can help the community have a more vibrant economy, et cetera, et cetera, might fall short of what it may actually deliver. And we were talking about that a little bit earlier when we were thinking about how, how do you pick apart how broadband improves the business climate relative to schools or something like that. Mm-hmm. The other way around that I always find interesting is people say, yeah, broadband can help this um, community and social development too. Um, it, in some quarters, may also may almost be an afterthought that, yeah, we really want the broadband to help grow the economy, which is, of course, an important goal. Um, and we kind of think it's going to help community development, social development, but we're not going to pay so much attention to that. And then they start to get into the nuts and bolts of some of the programs funded by the Commerce Department and the Broadband Technology Opportunities Program, and they see the stories about how broadband might be helping um, a community um, in terms of education, in terms of just overall social engagement, and they're kind of surprised that it's over-delivering on expectations. So kind of a long way of saying that the expectations game can cut in a couple different ways across different topic areas, whether you're focusing on economic development or community development. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that, that that makes sense. That makes sense. So what's for the next 12 months, what do you think will be the greatest economic development gain that broadband will, I don't know, validate, say, in various communities? We've got about two minutes left. Now. Wow, that's a... Mouthful of a I know, question. Not a lot of time for a very um, question, but I, I think we're going to see um, more communities figuring out how to get fiber connectivity going in the next 12 months. You have a lot of momentum behind the Google project in Kansas City, the Gig.U project that's spearheaded by Blair Levin, who was my boss at the broadband plan, is working with more communities to announce fiber builds. So I think the acceleration of that process over the next 12 months is going to be the big news when it comes to broadband and economic development. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing that Kansas City and Chattanooga, since they are media visible of our communities with fiber, will probably play a big role in driving that desire or that effort. That's true. There's been big announcements recently in Seattle, um, and my hunch is that there will be more such announcements for those kinds of efforts to get fiber deeper into uh, communities and neighborhoods. And I think that will mm-hmm. be a good thing and will be a real positive message for broadband e- economic development. Excellent. Well, we are just about out of time. Uh, John, I want to thank you for, uh, number one, being patient, because this show took a little while to get uh, to get, get locked down, and you, you've hung in there with me, and I really, really appreciate that. And and I also appreciate all of your your comments and feedback, uh, you know, related to your research and so forth. So thank you very much for being a guest on the show. It is my pleasure, Craig. I'm glad we were able to pull this together, and uh, I hope your listeners uh, enjoyed the conversation today. Excellent. And for all those of you who dialed in, thank you very, very much. Uh, Monday's show is going to tackle right-of-way issues. We might be using Wednesday's show to get a recap on the top uh, broadband stimulus programs. So there's a lot of interesting programming coming up this year, 
hang in there with us. Come back again, and uh, we'll talk more broadband in America. Here, and have a great day. Thank you. <laughs>